All right. So I, uh, last night I, I'm laying there and I, like, I woke up all of a sudden, like at 1230 at midnight, I had the worst nightmare. It was just like, I was preaching this sermon and, you know, you guys were just like, <laughs> you guys all stood up and were just leaving, walking out. I was like, I'm not done. Wait, I forgot to say the main point. Wait, okay. It was just like, man, that's preacher nightmare right there, right? So that's, you know, and I just was like, I, and it hit me right there. You know, God was just kind of like, what's the big point? Like, what, what's the main point that I want you to say today? And so after that nightmare, I was like, I'm just going to say it right up front so I don't forget it, okay? So that way you can walk out at the end and it's all right. It's like, all right, if I'm still going, it's okay. You got the main point. We have to look inward before we look outward. So if you're, if you're taking notes, we're just going to start right there. You have to look inward before you look outward. Uh, when we talk about the story of Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, verse 1. That's where I want to start. Genesis 4, verse 1. Now, I know we were here last week. But I told you last week, if you were here, I, I had like three or four sermons going around in my head. So I think you got two of them last week. You're going to get the other two today. Okay? Here's, this is how I work. This is how my brain, it's, it's scattered a little bit sometimes. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. We talked about this last week, but quick recap, if you were gone. A lot of people have heard that story, and they're like, what, why did God accept one gift and not the other? Uh, it, it's really clear if you just slow down and you look for some of those key words. Cain gave some, Abel gave his best, his firstborn. And so we talked about that in the areas of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Are you giving God the best of your time or are you just giving him leftovers like Cain? Are you giving him the best of your talent? Are you using the gifts he's given you? I mean, and there's lots of gifts. There's spiritual gifts. There's, you know, there's gifts of, you know, all kinds of different things. But are you using the gifts he's given you to serve him, to give your very best to his kingdom, or are you using them to build your own kingdom? And then your treasure are, are you building up wealth and finances for yourself and, and holding them back and just kind of giving him the leftovers? Or are you giving him your first and best? Because there, there's some things we prioritize in life, right, when it comes to our money. We prioritize our mortgage or, you know, food. And, and we're, you know, in fact, some of those things that we have, we have them set to automatically come out of our bank the very first thing when we get paid at the beginning of the month. That's our first fruits. Some of you, I, I know, like that's your heart. That's, where you, that's what you're doing. You've said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give our very first to him. And then some of us, man, it, it takes us a while to get to that point. But because it's a matter of faith and trust. And God wants to take you next level in your relationship with him. And that means trusting him with your very first and not just giving him your leftovers, whatever few dollars you got left in your pocket at the end of the month. That's why here at this church, we are committed to helping people get financially 
out of the hole that this world tells you you need to be in and live in to be happy. The world, they're liars, right? The, the powers, the principalities of this world, what did Jesus say they came to do? They came to steal, kill, and destroy. They don't have your best, uh, they don't have best intentions for you when we look at the world around us. And so if you're living like the rest of the world, man, you are probably living in a hole and you feel like you can't get out of it when it comes to your finances. That's why we encourage people in the church, take Financial Peace University. We've got elders in the church that are involved in that and help teach that. Uh, It's a great thing and it it gets people free because you're living out biblical principles, not worldly principles. And then once again, man, some of you guys, you're coming in here today and you got church hurt. Like, like you, you've seen the worst of the church, and you've seen, man, I, I tithed and I gave there, and you know what they spent my money on? Like, they spent it on a whatever. I, I mean, you can fill in whatever ridiculous thing you want to fill in for what you've seen a church spend money on, but let me tell you something. It does not matter. You're not giving to the church. You're giving to God. That is what he's saying. He's saying, rely on me to deal with how these people spend my money. So just so you know, Andrew and I, we live in constant fear. Our finance team, we not fear, a healthy fear of God because we know we'll be judged someday for how we use the finances he's entrusted to us as a church. We will stand before him someday and he will hold us accountable for every dollar spent or every dollar not spent. And he'll say, why didn't you just trust me? He'll say, why, why didn't you use that for the kingdom? Why didn't you use that for my people? In fact, so one thing we even do, we set aside money here at the church for, you know, we, we call it benevolence, but we just, we look at it as the Acts 2 church. Really, that's what it is. It's the Acts 2 fund. Because when you look at the church in Acts 2, man, I'm gonna go back to the bank and rename it Acts 2 fund. I like that better, all right? I like that better than benevolence. Nobody knows what benevolence is. Maybe some of you guys do, I don't know. Sorry, I don't know that word very well. I don't, (laughs) I'm being ridiculous already. All right, here we go. The Acts 2 fund, that's what we're calling it, okay? But that is, when there's people within the church walls that are hurting and need help, man, they should be able to come to the church and say, like, I'm in trouble. Like, we can't make it this month. I can't feed my kids. I can't afford, like, these doctor's appointments that they need. And the church in Acts 2, man, what did they do? They had plenty because they brought their resources to God at the apostles' feet, and they entrusted them to use it wisely to help and build up the church. So that's something we do here, and we're committed to doing, uh, and we're committed to doing biblically and wisely the best we can, because Andrew and I do not want to get slapped in the face someday when we get, I don't think it's going to be like, it'll be bad though, it'll be bad. We don't want to, I don't know what kind of judgment that looks like, but it's not going to be good if you spend God's money unwisely. So time, talent, treasure, you give him your very best and your first, okay? That's what Cain didn't do. So Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift, verse five. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. You will be accepted if you do what is right. 
Sometimes the world tells us, man, you're accepted however you are, whoever you want to be, whatever you want to do. That's not actually what the Bible looks like. And that's why now we have a lot of churches in the Western culture that are abusing the grace of God. And Paul, he deals with that. When you read through his letters, he talks directly to churches that were struggling with that because that was all they did. They focused on the grace, 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 and they abused it to do whatever they wanted and live however they wanted. You will be accepted if you do what is right. And so this is where, you know, I know some of you, if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard this, and in your head you're thinking, well, this sounds works-based, like, this sounds like we have to earn our salvation. No, it's been earned. It was bought on the Christ. We just sang those words to that song. He paid the price. And so now, because it's been paid, man, when you've been given a gift, like, I, I think about this, and I talk to Maverick about this a lot, because <laughs> Maverick has a hard time listening. And so sometimes I remind him, man, like, Mom and I, we love you. We take care of you. We provide for you. We will always do that. Just trust us and listen because we know what's best for you. We're not trying to take away fun. We're not trying to keep you from living, you know, a great life. We're, we're just trying to show you the best life, to walk in freedom. That's what God is doing. When he gives us his word and how to live and walk in obedience, he, he's not trying to restrain us. He's trying to protect us. Because once again, the world, the way it's set up, it is designed to steal, kill, and destroy the powers and principalities at work in this world. That's their end goal. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Sin is crouching at the door. That's for each and every one of us in here. If you, every time we make a decision that goes against God and his word, we're putting ourselves at risk of the enemy. What, what we're doing is we're, we're kind of cracking this door open, and I talked a little bit about this last week, but we're kind of cracking this door open to kind of see what's going on in the world, and, and the enemy, he is literally, he is right there by the door. He is waiting for you to just kind of walk away and leave that door open to him. That's what the enemy is doing in your life. And as soon as you crack that door open, he's going to put his foot in because what's he want to do? He wants to get a foothold, all right? That's what it says in Ephesians. He just wants to get that foothold. He wants to get in there and start to build a place. Now, when you talk about a place, like that Greek word, what it's actually talking about, is it's like a, putting a piece of furniture in a home where it has a place in the home. That's what the enemy wants to do. This is your home right here. This is your home your body. It should be a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. But what do we do? We quench the voice of the Holy Spirit when we open that door and we check what is going on in the world. And all of a sudden, the enemy tries to make a place 
take up residence within the home. He can't possess you, but he can't oppress you. If you are in Christ, you are possessed by him. He is, you are his. But the enemy can still oppress you. And so that is what is going on in our lives today. Most of us, man, we're not possessed by demons, but we are oppressed because we keep opening the door and letting him get a foothold in our lives. That's what's going on with Cain. He's so busy looking at Abel and, and, and looking at what he's got and looking at the favor of God being poured out on him that he's not concerned about what's going on within his heart. And what builds within us when we're so busy looking outward and we forget to take care of what's going on inward. There is soul care that needs to happen within the church, within God's people. There are things going on internally that he wants to deal with, but we're so busy looking around us. In fact, that's why that phone right there, I'm mad at myself because I I get these little updates each week. And I I just preached last week on time, talent, and treasure. And and what did I get today? I got a little notification that said, your screen time on your phone is up 7% this last week. Alex, come on, man. Like, I rebuke myself, all right? Like, every time... I open that thing up. What am I doing? I'm looking outward. Every time I go and scroll through Instagram, I'm looking outward at the rest of the world, and I'm giving the devil an opportunity to get that foothold again, to get me distracted with what's going on outside and forget what he's trying to do inside. He wants to take up residence here. He wants to make a place here within us. Do not let him. I'm saying that to myself. I'm preaching to myself today just so you guys know. Don't let him get a foothold. And so like one thing here, in September here at the church, we're going to kick off some new small groups. And this is one of those times where you have a chance to say, man, I'm going to put God first with my time. And I'm going to say one hour a week or one hour every other week, some of these groups, however they work, maybe an hour and a half, some of these groups, I don't know. Uh, Every group's a little different. But for this first study, I've asked all of our small groups that are forming and getting ready to form, I've asked them to go through this book, and it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's by this guy named Peter Scazzaro. And it's a book where, man, I, I wish I had read it before I ever started ministry, because there's stuff in there that I never realized or thought of or dealt with internally because I was so focused externally. I was so focused looking outward at other people's problems and being like, man, like as a young youth pastor, I kept looking around and being like, man, we gotta go save these kids and get these kids baptized and we gotta gotta do all this ministry. And, And I was never dealing with what was going on internally. Because some of it just seemed small. Some of it just seemed microscopic, and I thought, man, it's not a big deal. Man, I just stumble every now and then. I just struggle once a year. I just, you know, I just trip up every so often. And I wasn't really dealing with what was going on internally because I was so focused externally. And that's a lot of what he digs into in this book because there's so much, when you look at the Bible and what it actually says, 
That's what I love about this guy too. This isn't like some, you know, new age like stuff. This is Bible teaching. Every chapter he goes in and he digs into scripture and he shows you why we need to be digging in and doing soul care internally before we can help anybody externally. And some of you, I know your hearts. You have a heart and a fire to help people, to serve people. But you've never taken a moment to just sit in his presence and let him do an operation on you internally because you've been so busy focused on helping others, you've never let him work on what he wants to do in here. And I, I had this vision this week as I was looking through and thinking about this sermon, I was thinking about an operation. And, and I was thinking about what he wants to do in our hearts as the church. And, and what he wants to do is he wants to do surgery on us internally. But we've been so busy looking externally, looking outward, that we think there's nothing wrong. And, and we kind of think we've built up this, this image of ourselves this false self where we think nobody in the world can even see that there's something wrong within us until it bubbles over and explodes out in a fit of rage or, you know, a fit of something, and you're just like, okay, well, that was one bad moment, but that, that's not really who I am. And you just keep hiding it and stuffing it under layers and layers of this false self and you hide it for years. But let me tell you something. What you hide, it doesn't die. What you bury, it doesn't go away. It just comes out, and it comes out in explosions at times. It comes out in just mass feelings of anger or frustration. And you don't even know why you're feeling like this. It's because you never dealt with things that happened years ago the way that God wants to deal with them. And he's saying right here, right now in your life, we're gonna deal with them. Because feelings that get buried alive, they never die. And there's lies that we've believed and bought into because this world told us this is what you're supposed to look like. You know, as a believer, you're supposed to have it all together. You're supposed to be strong and brave. And man, you're you know, supposed to be like really like, you know, especially as a guy. Like you're supposed to have it all together. Don't show any emotion. In church, this is how you stand. I saw that growing up. I saw that in the church. I saw it in my family. We had this big family. We'd all go to church together on Sundays. Every man in the family, we stood here, hands in pockets, and we stood here, face just like this. This is how we worship. That ain't worship. Man, I rebuke that. I rebuke that part of my life because I lived and I believed that for a long time. He wants our hands and our hearts in worship. He wants every part of us, and we've been holding back from him. I rebuke that in my life. Come on. Church, there's stuff in you he wants to work on and operate on, and we're sitting on this operating table, and we are fighting against him with everything in us. But there is cancer inside of us that he wants to remove. And his gentle hand is holding us and pressing us down to the operating table and he's saying, just trust me. Just trust me. And we keep struggling and fighting because we don't want people to know what we've been hiding all these years within us, within our hearts. And he's saying, no, no, no. Lay back. 
and rest and let me cut this out. Man, that's what he wants to do. I know, I know. Because I I started reading this book last year and I thought, man, I'm pretty put together. I'm a good Christian. I've been working in a church for a long time. You know, I did youth ministry. I've been serving the Lord. I mean, I was kind of like Cain. I was a lot more like Cain than I was like Abel because I was looking and I was like, man, I brought offerings to God, you know? I've done these things for him. He should be thanking me for what I've done. In fact, there's even one part of me that's like, I'm a church planner. And all of a sudden I start going through this book and I'm like, oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. Okay, Lord, I hear you. I hear you. And he just kept, man, there was moments last year I wanted to resist and I wanted to fight myself off that operating table. And he just kept saying, rest, lay back, and let me keep cutting away. That's what he's going to do in your life. But you have to let him. And that means stepping away from the noise of this world. That means stepping away from the distractions. That means rebuking yourself when your screen time goes up 7% in a week and saying, not this week. All right, Satan, not this week. Because I want to spend more time with the Father than looking out at the world and longing for it, desiring it, being jealous of it, being envious of it. That's what happens when we start to look outward instead of inward. We don't get healthier. We step closer to death. We step closer to living under a curse. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. It didn't start there. It grew into that. There's people that will tell you that they're, man, some of those, you know, true crime shows or, you know, documentaries, when you start talking to some of these people or you start listening to their stories, um, man, you start to hear and realize they weren't born that way. But somewhere a door got left open in their life and a demon got a foothold and he, he made a place there and he moved all the way in and got really comfortable there. But there's also people like that who have been set free because they were willing to let Jesus do the operation on their heart. And so there's sins that we look at right now and we say, man, that, that's, that's terrible, that's awful, that's unforgivable. You can't come back from that. And I'm telling you, the great physician, he can set anyone down on his operating table and he can bring them back from the brink of death. It doesn't matter how dark. It doesn't matter how far you went. It doesn't matter because he can operate with his knife and his gentle touch, and man, he can bring you back from the brink of death. And so there's some of you in here right now, that's what you're thinking. You're thinking, you don't know what I've been hiding and what I've built up this false self to hide. I cannot reveal that to anyone. I cannot confess that to anyone. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he will forgive you and he will heal you and he will take you to a deeper level in the relationship with him. But you have to let him. It doesn't matter what you've hidden. He can heal. But Cain, he didn't listen to the warning. 
He killed his brother. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you. No matter how hard you work, from now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, no, I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Teresa of Avila she wrote this, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. It, it, it starts when you refuse to look inward and you only focus outward. And it builds from there. Luke eleven thirty three. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts, puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Cain's eyes were not healthy. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Everything we take in, everything we see with our eyes, we have to be cautious of. He was so focused outward, it became dark inward. 1 John 3, verse 12. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. The more we step in to following him, the more we seek to go next level with him in our obedience and our walk with him in every area of life, the more the chance raises in our life that there will be those around us that begin to hate us. There will be people in your life that will hate what you're doing. They'll despise it. That's what happened to Cain. He looked at the righteousness of his brother. His brother had done nothing wrong. He had only done what was right and Cain hated him for that because 
In Cain's mind, it was easier to bring his brother down to his level than to raise up to that next level. That's what the church has done. When we look at the church, especially here in the West, what we've done is we've kind of made, I, I talked about this last week. Sorry, I'm, this is part one, part two, all right? I keep connecting back, but I keep coming back to this idea of the church in the West almost made this silent agreement, this gentleman's agreement, and said, hey, the Holy Spirit doesn't work anymore. It doesn't move. You know, he's not powerful. You know, we just kind of sit in church and we put our hands in our pockets and we listen to some songs and we listen to a message and we go on and we live our life the same way we lived it because we did him a favor. We did God a favor by even being here in church today. That was what Cain did. He did God a favor by even bringing him a little bit of his crops. He said, look at me. Look what I did. I'm religious. That's the religious spirit. There's a religious spirit at work in the church today. And the Holy Spirit is on the move to wipe it out. He is. That's what's happening. That's what revival is. Every revival is an elimination of the religious spirit and a raising up of God's church to learn to listen and walk by his Holy Spirit again to walk in spirit and truth. That's what's going on. That's what we are a part of here as a body of believers. We are in covenant with each other to walk in revival and move on because we've been in the lobby for too long and he's saying it's time to move to that next level. It's time to move forward. And we haven't done it because we know there's gonna be people that will hate us for it. There's going to be changes that we will make in our life, things that we will give up, things that we will walk away from completely, and people will hate us for it. We don't live out of fear of man. We live to listen and walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Preaching too hard, my throat's going. Feeling it. I better close it out here. Worship team, you guys better come up and help me. Matthew 23, verse 25. <clears throat> what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you so carefully, you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside, you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. Let him clean the inside, and that'll take care of the outside. Quit trying to wear this false self on your outside, acting like, man, you got it all together. You've got it all, you know, everything figured out in life. And you're doing all this. And you're earning something. You're not. It's already been earned. And so now we live and walk in freedom and obedience to him. And we let him heal us from the inside out. And man, when you do that, it'll start to change those around you. They might hate you at first. They might despise you for it. But eventually they will look and they will see, man, there's something going on there within them and I know I need that in my life. I want that kind of healing. 
I don't want to walk in these chains anymore. Verse 27, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside. (coughs) I'm dying up here. But filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. In Jerusalem, what they would do is if you touched a, um, a dead body, you were unclean for religious ceremonies. And so you couldn't be a part of them. And so what they would do is around Jerusalem, every time that the Passover was coming up, they would go and they would get this whitewash and they would, they would wash the tombs so people would know where the tombs were. Because they had added on these laws that you even touched, if you even touched a, a grave or if you even came near where a dead person was buried and touched it, it wasn't just the dead body. They had added on these laws. If you even came near it, you were impure. And so they would whitewash them to make it really clear where to avoid. And they looked pretty on the outside. And in fact, as you were walking up, you probably thought, man, that, that's a beautiful sight. But there were dead bones on the inside. And he says, you Pharisees, you are like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but you are dead on the inside. Verse 29, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we, had ne- we would never have joined them in the killing of the prophets. Let's stand up for this last part, church. Verse 31, but in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. Snakes, sons of vipers, Jesus doesn't hold back. How will you escape the judgment of hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law. But you will kill some by crucifixion, and you will flog others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. As a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time, for the murder of righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth. The judgment will fall on this very generation. But if we call out in the name of Jesus, if we live in that freedom that he offers, if we let him cut us up and heal us and do surgery on the inside, we will walk in freedom. We don't have to repeat the lives our ancestors lived. We don't have to live like whitewashed tombs anymore. He has set us free. So let's live like we're free.